philosophy. Descartes. Debate. The Map Report. Map Report. Map Report. The awesomest discussion podcast in the history of the human species. Oh, yeah! Alright, in that case... Welcome to Member Report number 124, December 2nd, 2010. What is up, everyone? I'd like to welcome everyone to the show. Unfortunately, Clea is not with us uh, on this one because she is asleep. It's uh, actually early in the morning, our time. But uh, I, Greg, am contacting you from the new Phoenix Studios, which has such great details as this. Notice my ability... Okay, wait. Uh, let me try what that. What the... <laughs> Turn off your lightsaber motorcycle, Tron yeah, World. I have You're the ability to do anything. 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 Okay. Anyway, so as you can tell, I'm very excited because I'm in my new, uh, we just moved into our new place, Clay and I, and uh, in Sanavine, and so I now have this very exciting Phoenix Studios, Eagle Studios. I bid a felon farewell, did a great job for us, and we are now in Phoenix Studios, Shut one wall of down. which... One wall of which is appropriately colored uh, red, painted red. It's as if say, your so. Pokemon apartment has matured into a house. The, the the eagle became the phoenix. It's true. And I did say I choose you before I actually picked up the place. So um, so it's very cool. But it's funny because I, I was saying before we went on the air, I was commenting on the fact that I just feel like so ridiculously adult, you know, because it's like I'm, I now it's like I own a home. And so people, you know, I was like, we're dealing with like people who are doing like renovation. Mind you, having a daughter for several years did not accomplish this feeling. <laughs> it's not until well, homeownership. What kind of job has American propaganda done? Oh, you can <laughs> raise offspring. That doesn't make you an adult. That's an oh, excellent now point. you own a house. Home ownership. I guess I'm thinking about adulthood not necessarily in the most positive way, though, whereas I think of my daughter's birth as very positive. Like, although I'm very happy that we have this place now, there's a whole, like, it's like the weight of it. It's like, oh, because my God. Because what you really house, mean, you know? Greg, what you're really referring to is that you have a mortgage. That's what makes you feel like an adult. Oh, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, not yeah. the real estate. It's the the obligation. I don't know, man. If you know, technically, I, I wasn't in as much, but I felt like it was in as much debt before. It's like this is like a controllable debt, theoretically, um, you know, and a debt which is actually almost expected to be transferred from person to person. It's funny because like the the bank that we got um, our mortgage from, which is our regular bank, literally after within maybe two weeks of giving us the mortgage, we get this letter in the mail, and it's from Fannie Mae, and they're like, "We have bought the uh, mortgage for USA." I'm like, "What?" And and then they say in the letter, they're like, nothing will change whatsoever. There is no alteration in anything ever because you can't do that. You should continue to deal with USAA. If you send us any payments, we will return them because they shouldn't be going to us. They should be going to USA. I'm like, so the only reason you're telling me this is sort of like to, to gloat? Like, guess who guess who got your mortgage, big guy? Like, I mean, what is the if point of telling If only they had done that with all the mortgages in the financial crisis. That would have been great. No, because you would have gotten like 37 letters a day of like debt swap, re-debt swap, subprime debt swap. It totally CDS swap, and then everything would have been fantastic. Yeah, and everybody totally could is. have been able to actually track it. I'm amazed that you actually get trackability on that. It's probably been traded like 4,000 times since. Like, Kevin <laughs> yes, and these Facebook friends have bought it and resold it. And like, well, because that's the thing, because I don't even know. Some, some poor New Zealand couple has your house in their retirement account now. You realize that, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. They're like, whoa, I, I really hope that is. Greg what? Wilson gets his mortgage paid off. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this, mate. Where they, oh, yes. in Riverdale. Um, yeah, right. I mean, the thing the about Sanavine, New... it will be great. <laughs> Apparently, New Zealand is populated only with leprechauns. Oh, <laughs> uh, Riverdale! I picture it as a nice brook with a meadow and little huts along the way. It sounds like a beautiful place. We've invested <laughs> in it, you see. Green clovers and blue diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like I, you know, the, I, is it so like a non-valuable thing that they have to sort of like keep in the market for getting the mortgages but they're like let's get the hell out of this business oh my god hot potato here you want this mortgage you take it i'm like you guys just bought this two seconds ago you don't even want any of the interest you're like here fannie mae you take it like is there some like enormous kickback scheme i mean i admit i have no knowledge yes. of the mortgage yeah. yes, market there at all, is. But yes there, there is. in fact is, is. <laughs> that is exactly correct. but i mean Bingo. still even now of course yeah. what has changed nothing the only thing that changed was they found out about the mers electronic database of all the mortgages that prove that there weren't really any documents and they're like okay well it'll take about six months to forge what we need to get back on those and then everything else just continues as per normal so you're right. telling me that all we have now is a forgery that's what you're saying 
No, you don't have a forgery. You have some liquid, random investment that some some nebulous person in the world owns that you don't know who they are. Yeah. But Whose boy, do you is... owe them money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whoever, whoever it is. Right. It would be funny if some guy, some person out there is actually named Fannie Mae, and that's who actually bought the loan. They're like, this is going to be funny. <laughs> it's just, who are you? I'm Fannie Mae, and here's my husband, John May. What? Really? You know, um, Pretty sure you're proprietarily forbidden from owning homes if your name is Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. <laughs> it's like they've got that market cornered. It's like you can't start a hamburger chain if your last name is McDonald. And call it McDonald's because obviously you're trying to hone in on that. Even if you have like Grandma McDonald's famous recipe that really is yeah. named that, you're not yeah. allowed to do that. Even if you're actually so, the descendant of right. the original McDonald's restaurant, exactly. you've you it's still been bought out ever- by Ray Kroc or whatever his name was, and you own nothing. Exactly. Can you imagine you actually go in front of people? You're like, look, I don't know what the big deal is. My grandmother passed down this hamburger recipe. She used to call it the Big Mac. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Exactly, like, yeah. No, and this is, I mean, there was an actual lawsuit that was much like this, and this is how this got established, that you don't actually have the right to do these things. Yeah. So okay. this is well, exactly basically what happened. It seemed very official to me, but it was just so funny because they were they were sort of they were almost apologetic. They're almost like you know we're really sorry that we bought this. And um, well, we, have you, you seen know... how they handle things? Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Apply. It's like Hitler is buying your you know backyard and he's going to use it for something illicit, and you you better apologize. Like, well, his name already... was on the list and then crossed out, so I guess we took care of that already. They're like, exactly. I've heard I read an article today that said that there's a huge amount of these foreclosures that are happening to people who've paid their mortgages on time every single time. And it's not just because of some mishap with the papers. It's actually because of one of these inside scams where one of these partners in the liquid, you know, collateralized debt obligation what they do is they take the mortgage payment and they hold it back for as long as possible so they can reinvest the money. And then they only pay it later once the mortgage has accrued late fees. But the person who's paying the mortgage doesn't know that it's accruing late fees. They don't tell the person it's accruing late fees. Yeah, and so part this, of their yeah. mortgage payment pays off late fees. So they're not really paying off their whole mortgage at that point. And then by the end of it, they've gone insolvent because they have all these fees that are accruing an interest on the fees that they never knew about. But congratulations on your new house. You have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's 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 one of those things that um, I'm sure it's fine. I didn't mean to say anything. Yeah, no, 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 I understand. <laughs> I mean, sure like, you know, like like one of the things was actually they said the key thing was to make sure. See, part of the reason the foreclosure thing happened in a lot of cases was that you were dealing with these variable rate mortgages, and there was a member of my family who got kind of suckered into this too. Not exactly. I mean, they, they you know, it, but I don't know. It was one of those things where it seemed they, they sort of based everything almost like on the stock market theory, like, yes, it's a variable rate, but it's only gone thus high in, you know, thus many years. And, you know, that's not the way you can do things. Like, you know, you had to go with a fixed rate mortgage, absolutely, because then there's not a whole lot they can do. And then the only issue has to do with sort of the paperwork that's left over. And, yes, that is an issue where they transfer stuff over and over again. I had heard about that as well. And apparently um, there's – oddly, and I don't really know why this is, but I was talking to – we actually have an accountant who does our stuff now because, um, for one thing, it's just a lot easier to keep track of because of now that we have the house – And, you know, especially with all the stuff that happened with my mom last year and, you know, like having to sell her house and everything, it was just, you know, it was an enormous pain. So the great thing about having an accountant, besides not having to actually fire up TurboTax and spend hours trying to figure out what the hell my taxes were. The other, no, 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 the opposite. What he does, like they have a whole association. It was pretty funny because he was talking about it. It reminded me a little bit of sort of when when doctors go to these conferences and they're like, oh, we have some like new research. He's like, apparently accountants also have conferences. And he was like, you know, so we've actually, you know, we were having this whole discussion about like there's a whole accountants organization now that like we're dedicated to ensuring that that. like fork that we will like prevent like these foreclosures from happening against these people. And it's all this. I'm like, really? So accountants have declared war on the banks? He's like, well, yeah, more or less. He's like, that work's been going on for a while, but now it's actually out the open. Except for the accountants who work for the banks who are on their payroll. No, they can't hire accountants. That's crazy, right? (laughs) I'm like, I'm an independent accountant. I'm going to audit random businesses that I believe are involved in malfeasance. And then what will happen? Oh, I know what will happen! (laughs) I know what will happen. Boom! Um, Hey, man. Sorry. Backstory. Story and I are playing in an online poker tournament right now, which is nearing its end, and we've just been moved to the same table with two tables to go and a fair amount of money on the line. Not that much, but not nothing. 
Yeah. Yep. True. So there it is. That's what you might hear cheering or booing or right. breaking things. Yeah. Over the podcast. Probably all three. That is all. Yeah. Proceed. If you happen to actually notice, uh, you know, people with like if Story and Russ get particularly upset at a, at a certain point or we bring something up and Russ is like, yeah, whatever, that's because of this. You can pretty much, you know, bet that it's because Tennessee 56 right. went in all in over the top with his 2-7 and somehow, you know. There might not be nearly as much mystery as you think. Do you have any sevens? <laughs> Goldfish. <laughs> do you have uh, any sevens? Greg, check this out. I was cleaning up my desk today, and I found a receipt. And the receipt was for this little stuffed bear guy that I brought for, for Greg's daughter, Senevine, when, when I visited on oh, my yeah. trip. And check this out. So I'm reading the receipt because I didn't know what it was, and I'm just trying to figure out what it is because it reads JFK International Airport. So I'm like, did I get a weird receipt for my plane ticket at the <laughs> airport? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> and then I read down... And the description of the item is Goober's Fam. And I'm like, <laughs> what? No the way. Fuck? Are you serious? What is this? Is That's there amazing. some marker? Goober's Fam? Is this on my credit? When I buy something with my credit card, does it be like, oh, this belongs to Goober's Fam? <laughs> is that? Is there some secret making it's new, fun of it's Somebody's trying to feed you, Russ. Somebody thinks that you're losing too much weight. You do look really <laughs> gone. Famine? So it's all like Oxfam, but it's Goober's <laughs> Fam. And they're just dedicated to getting you back to a healthy weight. No, and I stared at this for 10 minutes until I figured out that this toy that I randomly picked out because I was like, oh, that's a cool bear, is called Goober. The name of the stuff animal that's, is Goober. That's, that's awesome. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's, that is that's unbelievable. I mean, you must have noticed it subconsciously. I think it's one of those things, actually, that happens subconsciously to people. that They see something out of the corner of their eye. So people, I think this happens all the time to people. Like, do you have a thing? Most people do, I feel like. It was one of those things that, like, in high school or when people were growing up that was, like, really novel. And then you realize that most people have something like this. Where you look at the clock and you often see the clock at a particular time. This is played yeah, my whole life. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Where My it's like you see a clock that like it's always in order, right? You're always looking like at this. it like one twenty three or twelve thirty four, or maybe it's backwards, and you always look at it at like five forty three, or you always see it at two twenty two or one eleven or twelve twelve or whatever, and that you disproportionately notice those things. And what I think actually happens a lot of the time is that. If the clock is within range of your vision, which it always is, because you always have peripheral vision that you aren't focusing on or using, that you actually are seeing that a lot of the time, and it's not noteworthy when it's just like, you know, 143 like it is right now, but then when you actually see something that your brain processes as something ordered or cool, then you actually, it alerts your consciousness of like, oh, maybe you should look because there's actually a pattern, and of course, they're just pattern recognition. I, I would buy that except for two things. Okay. Number one, my thing was that I would look at my watch and it would be exactly on the hour every single okay. time. There you go. See, that's yeah, that's another rendition of it. And right. one, it was a watch, so I didn't have the numbers in peripheral vision, nor did yeah, I ever. But, so but I had a special fit. urge to look, and I knew that when that urge came, that it would be exactly on the hour. Okay, so Russ is psychic, but the rest of us <laughs> actually <laughs> have peripheral vision. The other thing is that nowhere on this bear does it say goober. We were, when I gave it to the girl to Greg's daughter, I was looking because Cleo was like, what's his name? And I'm like, I don't know. He doesn't have a name. I don't, I was looking for a name and I couldn't find a name on him. Only via this receipt do I now know this. Well, and what else is funny about it is that I made, I commented about the fact that this bear has this awesome head of hair. Like it's his hilarious hairstyle. And we had at some point during the time that Russ had been here, been talking about hair, getting rid of the hair, having the hair, shaving the hair, <laughs> shaving the head, getting the beard. And I was just, and, and, you know, and then like Russ was also playing with the bear, um, you know, using his like, oh, like kind of, there was this crazy looking bear kind of like having him swim towards Senevine. And Senevine was like, you know, enjoying watching him swim towards her and then being like, you know, running away and come on, bear, you know. And, and so it's pretty funny that put that all together. It was kind of a crazy personality bear, which is, you know, what you would expect from Russ. And so, but it had yeah. hair. Go back to the hair. Yeah, the hair well, thing really yeah. is the opposite of what Russ has. No, no, no. But, uh... My point being, my point being, we had been discussing the hair, not that, not that it had the hair that you had. You know, I otherwise see. you have to give it a marine cut and all that stuff. You know, and give it a beard. I mean, I so. literally, I literally just walked into a toy. I was so happy. It's like a toy store in JFK, and then I picked out a cool looking bear. In about 12 seconds, 
bought it, <laughs> put it in my suitcase, and then on my way. And, like, I picked the bear that's name was Goober. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Yep. And that's that bear yeah, is now, uh, that bear is now uh, with, uh, with her. Um, it has taken its prominent place next in her bed next to Donald and the elephant that plays music. And um, what else? And um, and her bunny. So she's got bunny, bear, and elephant that plays music. And the bear's name is Goober. Yeah, Goober's fam, huh? So what was the fam for? I don't was know. It, Maybe he's not Goober. Goober family of bears. Fam. Yeah, I don't know. Doesn't explain on the receipt. You'll have to look to see if there's any any markings on the bear. Goober bear family. And then shortly, I will be even more convinced that we are not actually living on a real planet, but just some <laughs> sort of extended inside joke. Wouldn't it be great if this were the clue that we're living this in a situation? This is it. This is it. People with a sense of humor. You're not actually in real life. <laughs> no, I got it. I got it. It's actually um, Goober's family uh, is the, the name. Uh, no, I'm looking at um, it's by Gund. Hold on a second here. Yeah, Gund is on the receipt as Gund, well. Gund, and it's Gordy Bear from Goober's family. So Gordy so Bear actually, is his name? So, you, so apparently you have a whole family of uh, of bears, Russ. Yes. It's your family of bears. Yes, what, I guess. what it looks like. Although I don't see... That doesn't show your specific bear, but it's definitely Goober's family. Gus from Goober's family. His name oh, is Gus? Go. His name is Gus. Yeah, his name his is name Gus. His name is Gus Goober? Yeah. You've <laughs> got to be fucking kidding me. I'm looking at it right now. His name is Gus. Come on! That's ridiculous! Uh, it is a little Gus, ridiculous. Gus is a personality bear with a quirky haircut and loving spirit. His this, name is Gus Goober. This Sorry. bear, His name this is bear Gus sh- Goober. This is the the entity most akin to your name in the history of life <laughs> ever. This bear shares his friend Goober's unique snout and soulful eyes. Gus has two contrasting furs with rich tan body fur and cream fur on his belly, snout, inside the ears. Gus measures about fifteen happy, quirky, carefree inches. <laughs> Gus He's happy and quirky and carefree, and his name is Gus Goober. It is. This is the bear that I chose. This bear wants to live forever. Random. He's a member of the Universal <laughs> Life Church. <laughs> oh, no! What up? The Doctor Immortality Bear! Wow, that is pretty amazing, though. That That's that's pretty wild, I have to say. You see stuff like that, and you just sort of end up believing stories view. You're just kind of like, come on now. Like, really? That that just happened? Yeah, really? Like, Although it seems like, like a rather random thing for the universe exactly. to be like, all right, I'll just remind you that we're part of a video game by giving you a, having you buy a teddy bear that's named Gus yeah, Guberman. This right? is more evidence of Loki than God. This is just like some <laughs> prankster who's like, oh, you've taken life too seriously. Here's something to mess you with you for the rest of your life. Like, Why? No reason. Bye. Russ, did you know that there's a Goober's Family restaurant in Berlin, Maryland? Oh, my God. Goober's Family. I don't know whether to call this or not. Okay. To be fair, to be fair, Gund only makes about 42 named bears. So the odds were pretty good. 42? (laughs) 42? (laughs) Let me count them. Three, four. That was a ballpark. (laughs) Actually. Jesus. Yeah, it looks like eh, it's closer to 60. 60 bears and one I don't I don't get that there's a there's not a Russell bear is there? I, um Russell A Guberman bear. <laughs> <laughs> bear is Russell A. Guberman. To be fair, to be fair, you did not pick up the the Goober bear. There is Goober who is larger. He is yeah, stuffed with lots of Oh, so this Gus, is though? Goober. That's the original but, bear of whom But Gus is part of Goober's family and okay. it's Gus bear. There's no bear, there's no Russ bear. There's Pucker's pig. Yeah, <laughs> no, Ryder. We're gonna get no, Russ Pretty much. Gus of Goober's family, I think, is is gonna win. You know, yeah. this this made me interested, and uh, I have to say, um, story. <laughs> yep. Did you did you know that your hot rating is four point zero? Um. <laughs> oh, the story of a professor rating. No, no. Professor? he has this is hot dash people dot info. Story Clayton, hot rating 4.0. Click here to find out what makes Clayton's story hot. Okay, Clayton's story is not Story Clayton, though, for no, one no, thing. No, but it's, it's Story. It's, it, well, but Clayton's no, story is, Clayton. is an actual person. He's an artist in Australia. He's contacted me. No, no, no. This guy's from Think Topeka, Australia. Kansas, dude. He's my doppelganger. I know him well. Here, no, I'm sending I mean, you guys I, a link. He had a conversation with me. He once like sent me this email that was just like... Your name is Story Clayton. My name is Clayton Story. That's amazing. But he's actually like a somewhat successful. <laughs> and I think also, I, I have a teddy bear named Gus Goober. Because I was just family. like, oh. come 
God. Like, this isn't that interesting. Another guy. What yeah. What is this website you've sent me to? Hot people. This is virus-laden death. Now, see, there is a part of me that wonders if... Because Topeka, Kansas is not just anywhere for Story Clayton to show up. But this is Clayton's story, to be fair. It's no, last name but, but the fir- story. No, no, but see, the first part, oh, well... Because I thought because, it might be related just to Just because my it's surrounded by Story Bob and Stork Allen, you think yeah. that it's last name first? I disagree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, this is clearly last name. Stork Allen! That's a great name for a writer, by the way. Stork Allen? Yeah. It's How amazing. about Sakenya Story of Clayton? <laughs> Click here to find out what makes Clayton's story hot. I mean, what even is this site? Hot scores I'm in getting away from Kansas based on proximity to toxic waste sites. This is not the hotness that you think it is. This is like super it's fun. Not the hot. hot you were looking for. <laughs> this, is, this is like <laughs> cluster hot. This is radiation like, hot. This is like toxic hot. Dead, am I dead yet? No, you're getting warmer. Okay, now you're hot. Now you're burning up. Now you're now you're actually dead. That's what this kind of heat is. Now you're super hot. Proximity to toxic waste sites. Is your score toxic hot? Toxic hot. That's bad. On the numbers next to your name to see the closest toxic waste sites that threaten you. All hot data derived from official U.S. government data. This is like, it's like Megan's list for toxic waste. This is awesome. <laughs> Megan's like, list. It's amazing. <laughs> or Megan's uh, list. I mean, I guess they don't actually call it Megan's list. I think Story, I just does, does Quad Ruby make any sense to you? Does that yes, have any Quad logic? Ruby is uh, the top echelon of the National Forensic League in high school. Are oh, you okay. a Quad Ruby? Absolutely. That explains that. Okay. Of total points you can accumulate as an NFL participant, and in my senior year, I went quad ruby. Wow. So, right. yes. What about Army Times Mobile? What do you have to say about Are that? Me? What is what is this about? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, please tell me that there is a sergeant whose name is Story Clayton. Please tell me that. Army Times Mobile? It might oh be. Oh my God, there is Story Clayton a... William the Second. I mean, that's really creepy because my middle name is William. What? on this Done. Put it on the board. December second, twenty ten. A day that will live in I am done with this worldness. <laughs> a day that will live in Fami. I am so done. Okay. Russ picks up Gus Goober the bear. <laughs> there is an army sergeant named Story Clayton William. The no. second. The second. No. This is not happening. I just this sent you a link not, to it to prove this it. This is not really happening yep there it is story clayton william the second all right clearly now i have to find out everything i can about this <laughs> you should uh, tell him oh, i wait, hate you except in my identity answer, you will have mistaken first names for last names uh, clayton william story which is totally different all right i give you this <laughs> no, I, i'm still actually fairly compelled by someone holy named cow clayton. how about this this person bernatrick writes you're mexico Oh, well, yes. If it's someone referencing, wait, did they get loosely based on my quiz that I wrote where I no, said yeah. you're loosely based by Story Clayton? No, that'll this be is really... from your country quiz. They say you're Mexico. Well, some people think you're poor and maybe a little corrupt. You know where it's at, enjoying good food and nice beaches. You like to take things a little slower than those around you. You really wish the air were cleaner, but sometimes compromises must be made. For some reason, Chevrolet keeps trying to sell you Novas as well, even though they don't really go. Now, the person says, although that does seem like me, I think it's inaccurate. I don't really know what they say, but anyway, some questions ask what you have. Others ask what you prefer, which are two completely different things. And plus, countries don't prefer things. They have things. It should be all have questions and no prefer questions. You suck, Story Clayton. (laughs) (laughs) Tremendous. Wow. I love the fact that he's like, although that does seem like me, I think it's inaccurate. Uh, <laughs> therefore you suck <laughs> therefore and you suck in story fire. and defends it by name <laughs> he's like you whore. suck story Clayton. yeah tremendous did I ever tell you guys the time that I, I'm sure I've mentioned this in the web report before but I actually used to uh, near where I grew up um, there's a thing called Satan's Kingdom which is basically a portion of the Farmington River that's extremely like rapid filled like one portion of it is actually used for Olympic kayak training and we used to go down that area all the time in like, you know, tires, we would float down or we would, you know, later on do like a, you know, like a boat, you know, like sort of a river type boat thing. And so, you know, it was a good time. So this one time I'm going down, we're going to the river with some friends of mine. All of a sudden, one of my friends points up and starts laughing and we're going underneath this bridge. And on the underside of the bridge is Greg Wilson sucks. And I'm like, 
I'm like, okay. For, I'm like, first of all, I'm like, I, I don't know what would make anyone like at the time in high school. I could imagine someone saying Greg Wilson is a nerd, or like you know, I, being picked on. I, Greg Wilson sucks. As if I like did so. Greg Wilson sucks. There was a time that he he said something to me that was funny, and I hated him. Or so, I don't know what. Like I don't know why someone would hate me. And then to get to the part of the bridge where this was, they had to like lower themselves over the edge. Like they had to rappel down to the section so they could write the only graffiti in that whole area, like in the whole bridge, was Greg Wilson sucks. And they did it so that only those going down the river would know it. Apparently, now granted, my name right now, if you Google. Google Greg Wilson, you'll find like me, a comedian, a serial killer, and like some doctor in the Midwest. So, like, granted, I don't have the least uncommon name in the world, but but still, like, what? Greg Wilson. Yeah, did you ever find out if it was referenced to you? No idea. I mean, there would be no way to know unless they went up to high school and you know, an announcement. If any of you said Greg Wilson, which would guarantee that I would then have my name plastered all over Canton and the greater, you know, the greater, uh, you know, vicinity with Greg Wilson sucks point. So I would never find it out anyway, but. I, no, I don't understand. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, this world's fake. It's. Uh, I used to believe it was all metaphor. But I now submit I this podcast as proof. <laughs> it's cardboard artifice. It's just cardboard and plaster. And there's actually <laughs> there's also an emu Clayton. No, <laughs> now let me get to, now. No, check this out. His name Come is on. Emuel Clayton, and his age is ninety seven. He's 97 years old. His name is Emuel Clayton. But here's the funny thing. If you then search down below, so you see, you know, Emuel Clayton, and you look down below, and it also has, um, let me find where it was here, public records, category, Emu Peck of the Week, Bep Fans, Movies, Emo of AIDS, <laughs> Cops, by Story Clayton. So, but wait now. So it all connects to the same page, but I have to point out, it does connect to the same page, and there is an Emu Clayton. Huh? What? I mean, my point being, it's all connected <laughs> somehow. That's my point. Duly noted. I like the. Uh, what you say to me now is no longer sorry. relevant because this world is fake. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Did I tell you guys about Existence yet? Have I mentioned this to you? This is a movie, yes. Yeah, this is a movie that I discovered like right before I left in my New York trip that blew my was mind. Was this a really freaky movie that you were like, "Do not see this is Disasterville"? No, that was Enter the Void. Oh right, which I encourage you all to see if you wish to have a <laughs> transcendental, out of body freak out experience, an existential crisis, if you will. Existence apparently was a 1999 movie directed by David Cronenberg, starring Jennifer Jason Leigh and Jude Law. It okay. is, in fact, basically <laughs> the prequel to the movie Inception. And I'm amazed that I never came across it. Because not only is it the prequel to Inception, I mean, not really, but the plot is very similar. And it's also all about video games and video game culture and a game within a game. And, wow. and, it's, and it's from 1999, so it wasn't exactly you know, out of our wheelhouse of things we might have seen. But anyway, it's amazing. And, it's, and at the, during the movie, they go into a completely immersive video game and play around in the world. And then, you know, you start murdering people because you're inside the video game, even though everything looks like complete reality, just a different reality along the video game storyline. By the end of the movie, they've gone inside a game inside the game, and inside a game inside another game. And then when the game ends, I don't mean to ruin this for you, but two of the people start murdering everyone else, and then one guy's like, wait, don't kill me. Uh, are, are we still in the game? What? What's... Are you... Does this matter? And then, you know, basically the idea is that they've done it so much that they've completely lost their sense uh, of reality. Right. No yeah, more exactly. It matters or not. Yeah. Interesting. I've decided that the reason that you don't see this movie, because it seems like it would be totally up the alley of the popular culture now, uh, especially this topic. Um, I think the only reason that you don't ever see this movie on HBO or you don't ever see it on cable is because one of the major themes of the movie is that it's a good idea to assassinate video game developers because they're quote-unquote enemies of reality. <laughs> and so by wow. creating you know, these uh, compelling worlds, they're taking people further and further away from reality. And so the two main characters actually like want to assassinate talented video game developers. So that's that's probably the motivation why you don't see this movie very much. Wow. Sid Meier personally blocked the further <laughs> distribution of this game. This will not like, be no allowed. More. Richard exactly. Garfield. This will yeah, stop yeah. now. It reminds me of, um, oh, God, I just, <laughs> it reminds me of something which I have just completely forgotten. 
Uh, uh, got a mortgage, and now you're forgetting things. I know, I know, I know. It's all I know. Next thing you know, I'm going to start voting Republican and yelling at kids to get off my lawn. Um, small as that lawn may be. Oh, I just remembered it. I just remembered what I was going to say, and I remembered it ironically because on the front page of Yahoo is U.S. deploys new game changer weapon, and that reminded me of weapons and games. And that reminded me of, have you guys seen this commercial for, um, this very controversial commercial for Call of Duty Black Ops, the new, the new big one that this just one, came they have out? The, the celebrities, like, in a war zone yes. having fun shooting people? Yes. I so, yeah, this whole, so, you know, basically for those who haven't seen it, it's basically this commercial, which is just a bunch of, like, very ordinary people, like, it's concierge and like a bunch of other people are just like running around like this you know crazy like blown out city environment where they're just you know firing bullets at each other and shooting with shotguns and all this stuff and uh you know jimmy kimmel is in it he like fires off this rocket from a gun that says proud noob on it and like kobe bryant is in it firing guns and the last scene which is really kind of hilarious is this guy in like this short order like as a chef outfit you know like walking out like as the building blows up behind him doing the double-handed gun like to either side of him and then like dropping the guns in this very dramatic slow-mo thing so the thing has been very controversial because, you know, obviously incredibly violent and all that. And the fact that all these people seem to be enjoying themselves, a lot of people say is bad. And I have to say, I've heard two arguments about this, and I'm not really sure what I think. So I'll just throw it out to my two video game friend uh, playing friends here. One argument I've heard is, you know, obviously incredibly violent. They shouldn't be enjoying themselves while they're doing this. And they shouldn't have, you know, people like Jimmy Kimmel and Kobe Bryant along with ordinary people and blah, 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 blah. And then I've also heard an argument that... Nobody literally, not only is there no blood in the commercial, nobody actually gets hit by anything. I mean, like the guns fire and whatever, but nobody gets hit. Nobody gets even, nothing happens. Like it's just people running around having a great time. And so there is an argument, I think, to be made. I don't know whether I agree with it or not. I'm just throwing it out there. There's an argument to be made that this actually sends the opposite message, which is that this really is utterly, this has nothing to do with real life, right? Like this is completely a game. And that, you know, blowing people away in this fashion, since you're not actually blowing anyone away, this is basically suggesting that game playing is something you do for fun that doesn't involve real violence to anybody, right? Because otherwise, you would just have what every violent movie has, like, you know, the new one with The Rock that's just come out called Faster with Billy Bob Thornton, where it's another revenge movie where this guy's, like, blowing people away. And you see in the commercials he's, like, blowing people away. That's an example of, you know, something that really demonstrates that violence. But there's, I think, an argument to be made that because this actually demonstrates no impact to the violence or no impact to the weapons being fired, that it sort of shows that the game is like that, too. On the other hand, it could also be making the argument that by showing that there's no impact, people might sort of extrapolate that to real weapons and be like, well, if I shoot at people, they won't actually get hit or die. And maybe that's a bad thing. So I don't know what you think, but I thought it was interesting that those... You know, there's literally no damage whatsoever being done to anybody. They're just everyone's running around having a good time, and no one even gets hit by these things. I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say that people seeing a decade-long war that never improves or changes anything in a foreign country does a little bit more to influence them with the idea that violence is okay As than a video, video game. game. Well, that's fair, but I mean, going to put that out there. No, I mean, I agree, but I mean, at commercial as commercial. What do you think about that part? Um, (laughs) I I mean, it's an age-old debate, right? Like whether video games are a gateway. I actually saw a really good debate round about this about a really extreme video game in Japan called Rape Play, about whether such a game is like a gateway to encourage people to do what is being depicted in the game, or it's actually a replacer of you know, what if people would be inclined to be violent or inclined to engage in really horrible stuff and they can get it out of their system, so to speak, on the game instead of doing it in real life, is that better? And obviously I am always of the belief that if it is a replacer, then that is better than, you know, running the risk that people will enact things in real life. But I tend to think the same thing, that, that I tend to think that it's more right. a replacement. But I guess the question is... I mean, I don't necessarily know that it is more a replacement. But if it is, yeah. it's okay. I'm just thinking more now, about this specific commercial. I think it's very commercial. ambiguous whether it's a replacement or not. Right. I actually, I think it's very hard to tell. And that makes it a really tough call. Basically, this is like my feeling about abortion for video games. You can't possibly have the answer. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that part of it is, I mean, I, I really, I am inclined to believe that the main 
concern here does tend to be age. Obviously, age is an imperfect measure, but I think there's no question, you know, new, incredible amounts of evidence demonstrate. You have playing Black Ops, right? Like, right, exactly. But that actually is, is my point, early. is that there's an incredible amount of evidence that really what this all comes down to is, you know, making this stuff, you know, gradually introducing this kinds of things when they're when they're old enough for it. And that, you know, a kid who first starts getting exposed to this kind of violence at the age of, you know, 15, 16, 17 and on is going to be in much different place than kids who are getting exposed to it as and I'm not making this up five, six, seven and eight. I mean, I think that the movie ratings basically have the right concept there. I don't know whether, you know, and obviously they let the parents make the decision about what I don't think the parents are always in the best position to do make that decision sometimes but that's just because of bad parenting there's not much you can do about that but in general i think it makes sense to have parents let parents have exceptions but i do think that there's something to be said for the idea that age ratings do the job that really should be done in relation to how much someone's going to be affected by seeing violence or not i guess my question in this case is whether this because i mean there's all kinds of there's a case before the supreme court right now about violence video games and whether retailers should be fined for selling um video games to underage kids and what you know the implications are of that and i have no doubt the supreme court will rule that they should and they'll do this by five to four margin because this is the five to four supreme court but i I think the real question is is this particular commercial is it sort of playing against type is this actually making a positive suggestion or is it just really basically desensitizing us even further and sort of saying well you can fire a gun at someone but it's not actually going to hit them or do any damage you know is that the answer or is it just no when you play this game people like jimmy kimmel who clearly can't do anything are going to like fire rockets and no one's going to get hit or hurt and everyone's just going to have a great time Um, my history of media literacy studies tells me that there are several answers to this One answer is, does it raise the level of violence society-wide? Absolutely. Like, playing these games makes people not only... I I don't think it makes them directly more violent, but what it does is it desensitizes them to violence, so they're much less likely to react negatively to violence that they see in other contexts. And, I mean, it's always very easy to make the argument, well, you know... The nightly news is easily the most violent TV show that most people come across on a daily basis, so video games don't really matter in that context, and I I buy that, and I think the news is horrible. Um, That being said, um, it also has been shown to be a very beneficial, cathartic experience for people who are prone to violence to be able to get out their aggression by playing these games. So in that sense, it reduces violence. Um, I mean, I think probably overall the desensitizing a whole culture is probably worse than saving a few violent people by letting them get out their aggression by shooting pixels. Uh, because if it becomes that inert in the culture, then people are less likely to react to violent acts the way that they should. But can people distinguish... I mean, is, isn't it possible that people... They often say that um, dogs, for example, are incapable of discriminating, or it's very hard for them to discriminate between someone. If you say you can get up on the couch, but then you can't get up on the chair or the bed or this or that, you know, like if you tell them you can get up on something, they'll be like, I can get up on this too, because, you know, you said I could get up on the last thing. But humans are the opposite, obviously. Humans are capable of distinguishing things and making distinctions and discriminating um, between different objects and things like that. So I'm wondering whether or not humans can make similar discriminations, make a similar decision to discriminate on what is going to be able to express their violence. Does a violent video game, is that the kind of thing that they do in that context, you know? And so do Mm -hmm. commercials sort of demonstrating that violence in the game context is one thing, violence in the real context is another? That, I think, is the question. I I mean... I don't really have any problem with the commercial, per se. Um, To what... To respond to your argument, what I would say is I don't think there's a bright line between people playing these games and becoming violent. I think it's more of a sort of gradual effect. So the more things that they absorb that are violent, whether they be commercials, whether they be movies, whether they be video games, over time that leads to a gradual desensitization. And like, so yeah, someone can play video games for two hours and then still be shocked if they see a car accident outside. But I think that if they have a lifetime full of watching car chases, car accidents, violent video games, spend a lot of their time stabbing people online, they're less likely to be shocked by a car accident. And there's even the possibility that they'll enjoy it because they've learned to get a high off that sort of experience. I don't know when that clicks over. Yeah, I mean, I also I also think it's important to note that, like, video games by no means have any sort of monopoly on this kind of immersive experience, right? Like, 
almost anything about this, what is being, I mean, video games are extra immersive, but I can't tell you the number of movies that I've come out of that are like, you know, really hair raising or there's a lot of people that get shot or whatever else. And I'll spend half an hour after the movie. I mean, I get really into movies, especially if I see it in a theater, but I'll spend, you know, half an hour walking around the street expecting gunshots to go off constantly. Um, and really, like, legitimately expecting it, you know, maybe because I think the world is fake, but probably because those experiences are designed to be immersive and designed to get you to forget yourself and where you are. And as a result, they really provide a special quality that, you know, I think we aspire to as artists, right, that people want to do that in movies, people want to do that in books, to put you in a different place. And in fact... That immersive ability is also the root of compassion in some way, right? Like if you can't immerse yourself wholly in somebody else's experience or perspective, then you're not going to be able to relate to them. So it can be a really good thing. Now, do you want compassion for the you know person who's going around carjacking everybody in Grand Theft Auto? Maybe not. But, you know, there is something valuable to that immersive experience, even if it can make your reality a little haywire. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I, I remember always being a little bit suspicious about the concept that these things had an impact because I always wondered, so by, by that theory, we played too much Monopoly as kids, and that's why we ended up with junk bond trainers in the 80s. You know, like, I, I don't... <laughs> There's actually a good argument there. I don't know. I, I think that the problem is I think that everyone always looks for the magic bullet in these situations and there's so many the humans are just so complicated with so many influences from so many different factors and sources that I think it's just very very difficult to be like you know maybe you're right Russ that the culture is a little bit more violent in general terms because of the influence of video games but I don't know how you measure that why isn't it possible that video games teach a kind of story isn't going to be happy about this but violence in certain contexts <laughs> I mean like in other words I like I can totally buy into the idea that for example modern warfare which was I don't know the last version I don't remember Call of Duty I, I get confused by which is which but I haven't played any of these games because I don't have time but um, I think modern warfare was the one where you actually play a terrorist group and at some point you're like walking through an airport like blowing away civilians and there was an incredible outcry about that, I think, with sort of understandable reason, because that does seem to be sort of taking it to the next sort of stage. I mean, maybe what this all is about is finding a way to actually have the violence be in a different context or in a different way of approaching it. I, I don't know. I just I don't know that the particular game sort of delivery of this is the most immersive thing out there. I think far more dangerous is, as you say, the constant news stories that are showing this, movies, TV shows, you know, everything you can find, even cartoons. Like, I mean, if you look at even some of the cartoons out there, I mean, we, for example, I am not a fan and never have been of Dora the Explorer. Why? And because of, you know, for my, for my daughter. And I don't let her watch it. Why? Because she's so violent. Because, no, it's so, no, Kill. no, but I think what it is, is incredible. I think it's the sort of very early precursor to it because she is incredibly manic. Like, everyone's I just like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. With my knife. <laughs> Not like that. No, that's the that's the Japanese version. No, but it's like it's like it's like she like runs around. She's like, okay, let's go, let's explore this. Like, there's a Saturday Night Live skit I think that makes fun of this. Where it's like, okay, do it, do it now, explore it now. Come on, come on, let's explore it. Why don't you want to explore? Let's go explore. We can do it. Let's go. Let's explore. And like Diego, which is her sort of I don't know if it's a brother or a cousin or whatever. Diego, Diego, go is even worse. It's just like now we're gonna do this. We're gonna do it now. So I'm sure, oh, it has right, nothing to do with. Carmen San Diego, the other explorer. Yeah, but Carmen San Diego was frantic. I mean, it's like I'm just saying they stole. They, it's not only is it terrible; it's it's also plagiarizing. Oh, that could very well be of other exploring memes. You know, because, take that because Dora. that and like uh, you know SpongeBob SquarePants, another example of a super manic like cartoon that's just. I mean, no wonder all the kids have ADD. You know, I mean, like you just you watch it; it's just like. 6,000 different things a minute. Whereas some of the things like good old Sesame Street, which is still as awesome as it always was, is not, it's certainly interesting and engaging, but it's not so rushed and frantic and constantly changing. And I'm, oh my God. And I, I wonder if I that is more I will say a couple things about that. Number one, I think that the ability to process things at certain speeds is something that is, I won't say evolving, because I think it's being learned at a pace that far outstrips whatever evolution could possibly be capable of. So I think it's something that human beings are learning and developing at a rate that is actually very positive for people. And I agree, it's being misdiagnosed as ADD. 
at least east of the Mississippi, if you watch the uh, the video that we posted a few weeks ago about education policy. So my illustration for this is like whenever I get on the computer and with my dad around, and my dad and I will like try to surf the internet together, or you know find information out about a particular news story together or something like that. My dad constantly, chronically complains that I am skipping around and hopping around far too fast and he can't keep up with what I'm doing and that I can't possibly be following what I'm doing. And I, around my dad, will try to sort of click things, scroll through things about 50% slower than I normally would because I'm aware of this, but he still goes crazy about that particular situation because I think people in our parents' generation or my parents' generation uh, just are not designed to process things as quickly on computers and screens especially as we were because they didn't grow up with computers. And I think similarly, people like what looks hyperactive to us isn't to children who are used to even faster pacing, who have had high-speed computers from before they were born and, you know, are used to smartphones and all sorts of other nonsense. And I actually think the development of this kind of ability to deal with this speed is going to be a positive thing, ultimately, even if it may seem very foreign and threatening and crazy to us. Hmm. I suppose, but it seems like then it's just impossible to make any judgments about anything because it's like, well, it's maybe it's just because I just don't understand it because it's because I'm I'm too damn old, you know. <laughs> like I mean, I don't well, know. I mean, I think that's sort of the experience of every generation, right? To a certain extent, and now that we're in our 30s, we're sort of crossing that line between young and old and figuring out, like, wow, okay, the world is going in a different direction, and we're going to get left behind too. So I think there's a part of it that's like that. But, I mean, I also don't think, like, it's completely incomprehensible. Like, I just think that things are changing at a rate that's fast enough that it is kind of hard to keep up with, and maybe that is a greater precedent than past situations. So, you know, I don't know. But I I just don't think, like, I don't think speed necessarily is innately problematic in that, in speed of delivery in that kind of situation. I will say, though, going circling back to the interactivity of video games, that I do think that I'm going to sort of undercut my own argument about movies, because I do think there is something about the way that certain people play video games, and maybe less so you, Greg, which might be why you less relate to this argument, because you don't seem to have the sort of obsessive, immersive approach to video games that, say, Russ and I might have, um, for example. Um, but it's like the Tetris phenomenon, right? Like, I forget exactly what the name of this is, but there's it's a well-known, it's actually called, like, Tetris Syndrome or Tetris something. Um, this would be a lot more compelling if I actually knew the exact meme word so that everybody would know what I'm talking about. But anyway, the we've all experienced it, or I certainly have, Um, and a lot of people probably have, uh, that this idea of you play Tetris a whole lot to the point where you actually start, like, dreaming about Tetris. Right. And it's called the Tetris effect, actually, yes. And And it's meant to describe all kinds of video games, but Tetris is sort of, like, the seminal one where it started, where you play so much Tetris that you actually start to see blocks in front of your eyes in situations where you are not playing Tetris, and you start to dream about Tetris. And, you know, for much of high school and college, like, I had to play five to ten games of Tetris before I could work on a paper or sit down and do homework. It was just like my focal tool and so i had the tetris effect all the damn time and it was very real there was a um a phenomenon of uh some people committing suicide after they watched the movie avatar because they felt so connected to the world of pandora that when they realized that it didn't exist that they had no reason to live anymore and my argument was that this not only had to do with immersion, but the super uber immersion of 3D in the way that James Cameron filmed it, because literally these people who saw this movie had never seen a movie this immersive in their entire lives. And my argument on reviewing the movie was that literally your brains are storing the data that you're getting from the movie in different parts of your brain than any movie you've seen before on a flat screen, because you're looking at it in depth. And so therefore... As powerful an experience as it was for everybody and how much everyone loved Avatar, and I loved it. Um, For people who didn't understand what was going on, they were literally processing it in a way that they'd never processed a movie before. And I think that could be a dangerous level of immersion when you're not prepared for it. Interesting, yeah. And I think I remember either mapping about it or talking about that before. 
And maybe that's yeah. got something to do with it. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, when I see things like, um, you know, Natural Born Killers, which is now, you know, I don't know, it must be almost 10 years old. But when I see some of these things that are like incredibly, incredibly violent, and then everyone's like, well, no, see, it's actually a satire of violence. And I'm like, you know, Kill Bill and all that. I'm like, yeah, but actually it's not, though. Because you can't satirize violence by, you know, sort of buying into the exact same paradigm. Like, it's not Monty Python violence where, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, like eight gallons of blood, like, hit the screen, you know, the minute, like, someone cuts a finger off or something. It's not like that. It's something where it's, like, super violent and you're like, see, it's, it's like any other kind of super violent movie. Like, there's nothing to distinguishes it from other versions of violence. So it's not satire. It becomes the same sort of thing. And it's like as we encounter more violence, you can't satirize it the same way. It would be easier to satirize violence now by having something else done all the time. Like if you made some kind of a movie or a story or a game in which like people were constantly confronted with like styrofoam cups and everything was about styrofoam cups and you know you would have styrofoam cups everywhere and people would like throw around styrofoam cups and they would give each other styrofoam cups for christmas and they would drive cars made of styrofoam cups and styrofoam cups like that it might... would be a metaphor for life it'd be a me- <laughs> yeah i mean and you know then they exactly but i mean it's like at least that way you would get a sense that see this is what happens when you become obsessed with something but if you're just gonna like use more violence everyone's just like they, they might not even get the point of the satire they're like oh yeah it's just violence awesome it's another violent movie and that's that's kind of the problem with having all of these this level of immersion that we're talking about now i mean frankly and we've we have talked about this for sure on the mep report before the whole like everything's got to be in 3d all the time is ridiculous anyway it's just like why does everything have to be in 3d why do romantic comedies have to be in 3d why you know i mean really and and i don't understand why that level of immersion has become so important that is something that i appreciated about avatar though was that though it was in 3d they didn't do the cheesy 3D of, like, arrows coming at you, bullets coming at you, character flying at your face. It had to do with, like, the environment of the uh, the planet Pandora and the plants and, like, you know, the immersion of the whatever, the uh, sensory deprivation tanks that they were in. So I think they did a very tasteful job, which is why people loved the uh, that 3D experience so much, I think. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, Cameron also claimed that a lot of people don't do 3D. They claim they do, but it's not real 3D. Because I guess there's you can basically film in 3D, or I guess you can somehow up-convert some of these things that you do to 3D later on or something. And so Cameron had... And, I, you know, of course, it's sort of hard to listen to Cameron about artistic license when it's like, you know, well, if they'd been willing to spend $500 million, it's just like, geez, dude. You're like, well, my technique normally is to spend $6 trillion to get this... I mean, like... I don't really... Yeah, he's really absolutely, totally mastered that whole art form of, of making the blockbuster movie. Like, he's made a lot of really, really compelling high-budget movies. Oh, yeah. Abyss. Abyss was amazing. Well, then Titanic and Abyss? Terminator 2. I think we talked... You know, I've, I've said before, like, you know, now every studio has got to, like, simultaneously wince and be like, well, if we can afford to pay him $500 million, we'll make back a billion and a half. I mean, because clearly he's going to make a billion-dollar movie, right? High risk. Isn't he? High but, but he never fails. <laughs> like, he never fails on the... Ri- That's the thing. He's not really a high risk. His movies don't fail, as far as I know. I mean, it's still high risk to invest five hundred million dollars. Not if you get back a billion and a half. I mean, it takes ten years (laughs) to get back that money, right? No, no, that's not true. There's a lot of things that that's not true. It took about ten years to make Avatar. Story, listen, they're called collateralized debt obligations. Okay, it's a package (laughs) of real estate, and what is more secure than land? It's land, but it's an investment. It can't miss. Tell you. Mail me Greg's mortgage in an art package, and then maybe we'll talk, okay? My mortgage we'll be would good. not have been able to. I, I, maybe I could have purchased like an hour of Avatar for my mortgage. No, I couldn't even have. That's not even true. I think Development I could, on minute. Avatar began in 1994. Yeah, before World of Warcraft existed. 1994. You need to remember that's a little... That, not I risk. That's a little misleading because he... He didn't really like. He started thinking about it, but then he left the project for a while. Like they didn't say here have five hundred million dollars in nineteen ninety four. I mean, like it wasn't. He didn't really start shooting it in in earnest yeah. until like two thousand. Because of inflation, the budget back then was only about one hundred and seventy five million. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you're a studio and you know that you have like, say, you have five hundred million dollars to spend permanently, and some, and James Cameron comes in, wouldn't you be like, here's five hundred million dollars? We now have zero dollars left. Please make us a billion and a half, right? I mean, wouldn't you take the gamble on him, or would you take yeah, the gamble? Yeah, and then on... you have to go 
work janitorial for five years while he makes the movie. That's still high risk. But then you're right? awesome. I mean, true. He does keep your money for a very long time. That's what I'm trying to get at. That is what I'm trying to say. Here, five hundred million dollars does not come as like an advance check. They're like, here you go, five. It's a lot of zeros. Be careful with that, James. It doesn't work that way. You know, he he continually goes back to them asking for more funding, and they say yes, no, yes, no. I'm sure he didn't originally say my budget will be five hundred billion dollars. I'm sure. I'm pretty confident that's not what happened. Avatar was officially budgeted at two hundred thirty-seven million. The final budget was nine million more than that. Hello. No, say it again. Before, <laughs> broken the podcast. No, no, say it again. Like Is this thing on. Four hundred seventy. What? Eighteen. Carry the one. Oh, he's typing. He says, "Guys, can't hear you." There you are. Yay. I, so I said I was reading from the Avatar page, and I said. The budget was two hundred thirty-seven million. The original budget was two hundred thirty-seven million. The final spending was nine million more than that. And then there was just dead silence. And I'm like, okay, it wasn't that much of a takeout <laughs> argument. And we're like, and then I was damn, like, uh, guys, we're like, guys, we're like, that yes, ends the argument. And I'm like, oh my god, I've broken the podcast. And then I looked over at Greg. Greg Wilson, your rebuttal. We have no rebuttal. That was perfect. There was nothing else to be said. Wait, but did you just say <laughs> that, that Avatar had a two hundred thirty-seven million budget? Because I thought it had a five hundred million dollar budget. Am I wrong? I thought it cost $500 million to make. Yes, Am, I wrong? Am I wrong? It's, You're not wrong. You're just an asshole. Sorry. And it cost maybe up to $300 million. Well, really? I guess between 280 and $310 million, and then $150 million for promotion. So not $500. Holy j- – did you just say $150 million for promotion? I did. Wow. I said that. He so said let me just get this straight. Can you imagine if we had 1% – of that promotional budget, $1.5 million. Go far. If we could but promote. rather than promote, why don't we just split it amongst the three of us? <laughs> like <and> exactly. <laughs> and, <call it>. sailing. <laughs> and then part of my share I'll use to buy billboards on the highway. If we, that, than yeah. if we promoted one thing that we would produce. I think yeah. the point is if they give you $1.5 million for promotion, you can't just take it and like go off and live in the, live in the Cayman Islands. I don't think that's how it works. Now you go to the Galapagos. <laughs> Galapagos, where you can also film movies in 3D and everything. I've concluded that everything looks better. You know, I mean, having said what I said about being annoyed that everything has to be in 3D, it is true that especially in IMAX, everything looks more amazing. And I've concluded that everything in slow mo looks even more amazing. I was, uh, Senevine was watching one of her favorite shows, which is Imagination Movers on Disney, which is kind of like a sort of like a, I don't know, modern day Captain Kangaroo, except that with these four guys who basically run this warehouse where they fix people's problems. And, um, you know, they all have, like, they can play instruments and sing, and they do all this different stuff, and it's all live action. So it's cool. There's this one part of it where this uh, knight shows up, and the knight's name is Sir Fears a lot. And he has to rescue the princess, except that he's frightened to go anywhere, and that's a big problem. So they have to basically help cure his fear. So they have this one song where they're, you know, I don't even remember what it is that they're singing, but they have the knight doing the thing where he's walking along, and the four of them are walking behind him, and it's in, like, the super slow-mo mode. And even on this ridiculous kids show, it looks awesome. <laughs> I just get cl- I'm like, wow. Anything in super slow-mo is really sweet. Like, there's just no other way to put it. Like, it's... It's that it's that, you know, it's that added factor. So I think if we had one point five million dollars and we could just put out a short video of MEP stuff and we could do it in super slow mo, that would be a permanent loop of money. Like a, that would just bring money in constantly. And then we would be able okay, to Okay, let's want. start now. <laughs> I <laughs> think... Well, oh, wait, since no, you I asked story. I have the ability. <laughs> now I I think it works Super really well in visual, which is not what our podcast <laughs> is. not what that is. <laughs> oh, oh, goodness. Well, believe it or not, we really have actually reached uh, the end of an hour. So I want to thank everyone for listening to us and our discussion of all things crazy, movie-related, violence-related, and uh, poker-related in the case of Russ. Congratulations, Russ, on reaching the final table of whatever was you're playing, which I don't remember anymore. Meh. Dusty's he's not even happy about it anymore. Now it's all lost his luster. Please continue to check out the MEP report. Our bandwidth has been going up. Our usage has been going up. We're very excited about that. Please leave feedback and uh, get in contact with us through the various email addresses on the page and uh, let us know what you think of the show. And please continue to spread the word. And uh, please tip your waitress. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I got nothing. That's pretty much all I got. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Yeah, it's Gus Goober the Bear, and he's my friend. 
Do whatever you want. This life ain't real. Nathan Story, William V. But even if it wasn't real, wouldn't it be the same? No. Oh. <laughs> The proceeding was a presentation of the MEP Report, hosted at www.mepreport.com. All rights reserved. In no way should any part of this show be construed as an invitation to buy, sell, or trade flightless birds, or reassemble Voltron. Or at least not the stupid one of the cars. Please support the MEP Report by voting for the show at www.vitalpodcast.com, adding the show to your list of favorites at podcastpickle.com, and clicking on the Vote for MEP link on the MEP Report homepage to vote for us at podcastalley.com. Email us at Greg, Russ, Story, or Andy at MepReport.com and call us and leave a voicemail or a fax at 206-600-MEP1. That's 206-600-6371. And finally, please join the fight to stop the senseless farming of emu glands. It's immoral, it's unethical, and frankly, it's just a little bit gross. 